Welcome to the Crushing Cashflow Podcast, where we share phenomenal advice and dozens of decades of wisdom from investors and entrepreneurs of all types and all stages of their journeys. We'll cover many forms of cash flowing assets, such as real estate, stock investing, entrepreneurship, and general finance guidance. Listen in and learn from those who are crushing it out there, as well as those who have been crushed by business or their investments. Now, here's your host, Andrew Shetsky. Welcome back to another episode of Crushing Cashflow. I'm your host, Andrew Shetsky, and with me today is Brian Palnell. Brian is a founder of New Day Capital, which is a firm focused on syndicating value-add multifamily properties alongside industry partners. He's an LP, means limited partner, and several hundred multifamily units, a commercial real estate fund, and funds hard money lending. Although newer to real estate, Brian is a master in the oil gas engineering manager with 10 years experience focused in asset management, acquisitions and divestitures, budgetary planning and private equity. So he's a real finance whiz, you want to call him that. He's evaluated hundreds of deals, building complex cash flow models and delivering investor presentations to help lead transactions such as a $500 million acquisition. While working as an asset lead, he's been responsible for overseeing over $800 million in annual budget in Oklahoma. He's a graduate of Texas A&M University and a magna cum laude with a Bachelor of Science in Petroleum Engineering. So really strong financial background. Welcome to the show, Brian. I appreciate it. Glad to be here, Andrew. Awesome. Awesome. So today we're going to talk about deal analysis and digging in and clearly with your background, you're the right man for the job. So I'm happy to have you on the show. Yeah, I appreciate it. No, the more I've gotten to learn about multifamily, it's been very plug and play. Uh, we can yeah, definitely dive into how it's similar and different than oil and gas, but it's been a lot of fun working alongside various awesome. partners, turning through some deal flow. Fantastic. Well, let's dig right in. So first steps, something comes across your desk, you got the OM, what are you looking at? Yeah. So I think what's critical for anybody that's out there actively looking at deals is to have some type of filter screening process in place. So for me, that starts with the submarket. Uh, I know a lot of folks that start spreading themselves too thin. They're looking in Texas and California and Florida. There's so many deals out in the market right now. If you know the right brokers to be in contact with, the email list to get on, you've got to have some way of distilling that down and filtering that down and then stick to that criteria. So if you're going to look at deals in Houston, Texas, don't go look at a deal in some tertiary market in a rural area of Texas. So does it match your submarket? The second piece was, does it match your property criteria? So, you know, someone like myself, probably the sweet spots, 10 to 15 million. I'll look at deals up to 30 million uh, with confidence that I can work alongside uh, fellow GPs such as yourself and, and team up and take a deal down. I'm not going to go look at a $90 million property in Orlando, uh, like, uh, you know, different groups will that have the team in place, have the capital. And so stay, again, stay focused. If you want to focus on hundred plus units, so you can have a property manager on site, capture those economies of scale, but broker sends you a 10 unit deal probably doesn't make sense. Now, with that being said, if you've got a great broker relationship and they send you a 50 unit deal, it might make sense to look, work the broker relationship and, you know, you still, the returns are still there. And so, you know, again, the first two steps, sub, does it match your submarket? Does it match your property criteria? And from there, it's rules of thumb. And I'd be interested to hear what you think. You know, this is this is one area I struggle in. I think there's some uh, typical rules of thumb that GPs use and, and syndicators use in the space. Those would be dollar per door. So if you have a good feeling of what 
properties have transacted at in the market, let's say it's a dollars to $140,000 a door, is what's coming across your desk from the broker in that range. Uh, people talk about cap rate. So that's the NOI over the purchase price. Again, is that in the range of what you believe is transacting in the market? And there's some folks that also look at the 1% rent rule. The reason why I say I struggle with that a little bit is because the market has moved so much recently that cap rates have significantly compressed. Depending on where you live, you might not have a dollar per door uh, that you feel confident about. So if I'm looking in Houston, I might, you know, you're not required to uh, file the, the purchase price. You may not have a bunch of comps that you, uh, that have transacted recently in this market, but those at least are kind of first steps just to know that you're in the same ballpark on the same golf course or whatever your favorite sports analogy is. Absolutely. And I want to hit on a couple of key things I think you talked about. And I think the idea of focusing on, you know, maybe one or two submarkets and really getting to know them, because you talked about some of the, uh, some of those variables out there, dollars per door, they don't mean much or you won't have a high degree of confidence unless you really know that submarket. So, you know, my advice to listeners, and I, I think it plays on what you said is get to know one or two or maybe three areas really well. You start to spread yourself all over the Southeast or all over Texas. So, you don't really get to know what's what. And like you said, you know, things are transacting, they're escalating quickly in June of 21 right now, where, you know, I'll give you an example. We were looking in Jacksonville to deal. I think you were actually looking at it with me. Yep. And a lot of the deals in that area, you're used to seeing maybe 50 to 75,000 a door. And here they are, they're coming out in the left field saying we went 130 a door. And, you know, me not knowing that specific, I think it was uh, Ponte Verde Beach area, right? That's, you know, a higher income area, you know, maybe $100,000 median income. That's a lot. And you start to look at, so I, I kind of go back and forth. And one of the ways I'll go to try to get to know that market is, okay, what sales comps are in the area? And if you remember this one, uh, funny enough, they sent back <laughs> comps for the entire state of Florida. So to they me, did, it, was, yeah. it was like one other unit transacted. It was in like Tampa or Miami or something. So red flag for me, I'm like, okay, hard pass. <laughs> so No, yeah, you're right. And I'll, I'll, I'll caveat that with one. I mean, if you're somebody that your passion is to underwrite deals and that's how you're going to get in the door, then find someone like Andrew that's working in Florida. Maybe you're not looking in the market, but you can still be a value add and do some of the financial analysis and then lean on your partners and those that you're partnering with at analyzing deals and let them bring the submarket expertise and knowledge. Absolutely. So when you're going back and forth with the broker, I mean, you know, as well as I do, the initial documentation, if, if you even get an offering memorandum, if it's an on-market unit, Sometimes they can be missing key information. What are you looking for? What are your key criteria you, you use to start that analysis? Yeah, it sounds like a no-brainer, but I, I'll say it anyways. I mean, the first thing you should ever respond to a, a broker's email uh, when they're sending you know, along a property is, one, thank you for you know, this opportunity. And then the second sentence should be, what's the guidance or whisper price? There's a lot of times someone will send me a deal to look at uh, that's either off-market or on-market and they have no whisper price yet. And so without that piece of information, you really have no idea. You're shooting in the dark, you're bidding against yourself. So get the guidance price or whisper price. The OM typically, uh, if you get one, like Andrew said, is going to have some property background, but then ask the broker, is there anything else that's not in the OM or not in your original email, if it's off market that I should understand about the property, other income streams, just the general background. And what's important about that is why is the seller divesting? Is there an issue? Is there a pain point you can solve for the seller? Or maybe there's, you know, like a lot right now are just selling to take advantage of the market and that, you know, at least you know that. So I think those are the critical pieces of information to get. 
Yeah, I, I want to again emphasize the seller's reason to me is a tell-all of you know what's the risk profile, right? Are they getting it out of it? Like we had an offer, we had an offering on property with a partner in South Carolina, a deal smaller, smaller deal, but they had just bought in October of last year, and this was two months ago or so, maybe three months ago, and it was only four or five hundred thousand dollars under the asking, and I'm like, well you know, by the time you consider transactional fees before and after, they're probably losing money. So there really wasn't a compelling reason. And as you dug into it further, you started to find more CapEx things and they were really trying to get out of it. So that, you know, as you, you get the initial reason, you do a couple minutes of analysis, you can really be telling of like, what's the upside and what's the risk to me, um, right? So like you said, maybe they bought five years ago, they're trying to cash in, okay, no big deal. Yep. But timing is everything. And there, there's always a reason, right? Are they moving up? Are they moving out? Are they tired of dealing with the tenants? Are they tired of dealing with the property? So I I'll give you an example from this week. You know, I asked that question and got a great story about this guy's from uh, New York. He bought the very wealthy. He bought the property by himself several years ago um, and then made the decision. Uh, we can debate the uh, logic behind it, but made the decision he was going to move to the property and self-manage it with absolutely no multifamily experience. And so that tidbit of information immediately, you know, kind of flagged that, okay, there's probably some room on the expense side of the management side for this property to me, right? And so it's a good piece of information to have. Great point. Great point. So assuming you get past your initial uh, criteria, the initial sniff test, high level analysis, what are you doing next? What's your deeper dive look like high level? Yeah. So there's a lot of people that you know, we'll ask folks, you know, how long does it take to underwrite deals? If you're truly underwriting, you're probably spending honestly, at least an hour, if not more on a deal. There's a lot of moving pieces in these financial models, but here's what I want people to do. Don't just do the rules of thumb. Don't take the OM and calculate what the return is and don't fully underwrite. There's so many deals out there that if you really want to try to get to your first deal, second deal, third deal, you've got to get at least, you know, let's say two or three LOIs in a month. And so you've got to kind of hit that Goldilocks zone. And so for me, what I've done is I try to limit myself to 15 minutes. So if, you, if you've got an OM, pull up the OM. If you've got just the financials and rent roll, pull that information up and set yourself up with some rules of thumb screening spreadsheet. And so by that, what I mean is, you know, if I'll throw a couple names out there, you know, go on to Google, whether it's Michael Blanc or Joe Fairless or other free underwriting tools, or maybe you've built one yourself, set it up so that you put some rules of thumb in there for your uh, expenses per door, your RM, your turnover, your, uh, your tax rate in the market you're looking at. All that can be filled out and you can save that template spreadsheet. And then just plug in the current rent roll, what the OM or what your assumption is on the pro forma rent. Again, real high level. If there's not an OM, just assume, you know, get some rule of thumb like $100 more a door. And does that give you a rate of return, a cash on cash, and a total return that's in the ballpark of where you think you would start to be interested? If not, if you've got an OM and you plug that data into a, a spreadsheet within 10 minutes and you're not anywhere near what you think is a market rate of return, then you should just move on because the broker's done his job. 99% of the brokers have done the job of trying to sell this property, right? And so that for me is what I found again to be kind of like the Goldilocks analysis. I'm spending 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes max, have a spreadsheet that I just use over and over again. And it's turning out, okay, this property looks like a 14% rate of return. I'm like, all right, we're in the ballpark. Let's go underwrite this. Let's talk to a PM. Let's dig in further. 
So back to the sub-market, <clears throat> excuse me, and importance of, not, of knowing the sub-market, that, that speeds up your process too, right? Because your big assumptions around insurance and taxes and, and even the cost of repairs or cost of labor in that area, once you have that, you know, like you said, there's only a couple of variables you have to manipulate to hit those returns. So that's assumed that, okay, I passed the sniff tests. Everything directionally looks pretty good. I want to fine tune it. Who am I engaging at this point? What other, who am I bringing in now to get another set of eyes on, on the deal? That's a great question. And so, you know, different people take different approaches. I think the next step for, for me is whether it's yourself or a partner you're looking at it with, go do some comps analysis. So let's we'll start on the income side and just walk down the, you know, the, the cash flow statements. So start on the income side. Are your is your pro forma rents and or what the OM's assuming? Is it reasonable? So take a deeper look at the OM. What are the comps there? Go do some of your analysis, whether that's an apartments.com, rentometer, co-star, uh, whatever that may be. If you're really serious about the property, ask the broker for a co-star report. You probably don't want to do that every time, but if it's something you're seriously considering making an offer on, ask for a co-star. Uh, and then going to the you know expenses side, I think, again, you don't want to waste a property manager's time, but if this is a, an offer that as you continue to underwrite this deal is looking really promising, engage a, a property manager, ask them to sign off or, or review and, and challenge your assumptions on the expenses. So to your point about you know, labor costs, et cetera. If you're assuming $350 a door on R&M on a property here in Houston uh, and they know the property, maybe it's a C-class and it's had deferred maintenance, they may point out, uh, look, we're really going to need 500 at least for the first year or two until that property gets up to snuff or add some CapEx. And so I think the PM is probably the first one you're going to engage. Uh, insurance, you're right. That's a big unknown. Uh I would say at the very least, always assume it's going to be equal to what's in place, if not higher. It's uh, I've seen some people underwrite lower, which is probably unlikely in the market where I see you shaking your head. So you agree. I agree. And then taxes. Uh, taxes is something that at least for this at this stage, when you're you know doing the screening that, that I just spoke about, or you're doing this first you know kind of full underwriting, if you've got a feel for the sub market and you've talked to brokers, maybe you've, you've talked to the county. And you kind of have at least a range like, okay, it's going to be at 80 to 85% of the assessed value or of, of the purchase price is going to be the assessed value. Uh, all the tax information is public. So go pull what this last year at this point, 2021 values are and go pull the tax rate. And then you can do that math on the purchase price. So don't get caught uh, in that. A lot of OMs will just have it equal to the last year's uh, tax value. Most of these that haven't been sold in three, four, five years, you're going to have a pretty significant jump especially down here in Texas, if you're in a market like Phoenix, uh, et cetera, that are capped, that's really advantageous. But here in Texas, you may have a hundred thousand dollar jump in taxes over the first two years. Are you using any general guidance from the expense side rules of thumb? A lot of people will use the 50% minimum number. I mean, are you using, what are you seeing in your sub market just for comparison? I, I typically, I love to be at least between 50 and 55% at the bottom. I, I've never seen anything realistic lower than that. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a great rule of thumb. 50%, you know, back to rules of thumb is a fantastic. And so that's, yeah. What percent of your revenue is expenses would be 50%. I've seen some high forties and I see some low sixties. So I'd say at, at a high level, 50 to 60%. Another number I like to look at is dollar per door. Um, and so a lot of these uh, deals down here in some of these major Texas markets have been around 6,000 a door. And so if I see something come across and it's, you know, 5,000, I know it's going to have some room to run up. Um, you know, some yeah. of the courts that are heavier might be seven plus. 
What are you seeing as the most commonly manipulated areas and, you know, projected returns uh, that you see, you know, we, we both have seen, but I'll, I'll share my side of things, but what are you seeing there? And what, what, are the, what has the most effect on IRR, average annualized return, cash flow, that kind of thing? Yeah. So on the revenue side, I'd see, I'd say almost every OM you're going to look at has 3% rent growth. It just seems to be a broker standard. Um, you need to be in a market and your 3% is pretty robust. Uh, so you need to be in a market that is actually going to support that type of population and job growth and, you know, therefore rent growth uh, in Austin, a Phoenix, some of these uh, Southeast markets that Andrew's looking at. Uh, so that'd be the first one. I'd say the second one, would be economic vacancy. Um, you know, there's a lot of properties that are being sold that are value add, which is what, you know, a lot of what Andrew and I are looking at, but they may be at a 20% economic vacancy. And by that, I mean, 10% of the units may be vacant. They may have some bad debt concessions. And a lot of times you'll see a broker assume that that just goes down to 5%, 6% the next year. And so you've got to be really careful. Sure. If you've got a business plan in place, you might burn that off, but it might take three years, two years. And so, You've got to, you know, really screw down on that. And then on the expense side, I'd say the most commonly manipulated is I mentioned the tax, uh, just holding that flat. And then probably the RM and turnover. Uh, some folks handle that below the line. And by that I mean uh, you're not seeing that in the NOI, or they just have deferred maintenance. And so the property might look like it's firing on all cylinders, but in reality, you come in. And the units need a lot of work and that's, you know, it's just gonna be more expensive to operate as a, as a better property manager. And back to, to the rent growth assumption side, I think everybody's a little bit spoiled with the last two, let's say 12 months. And assuming a lot of people are assuming that's going to continue, like you could have almost guessed anything in the last couple of years and, and really hit the mark, but you're not traditionally going to see three, four or 5% rent growth year over year. I mean, historically it's more like one to two and a strong area, maybe three, but you know, I think commonly I've seen a lot of deals coming across with three, four, five percent. And maybe they, they see they're like, oh, we've seen this in the last six months. And I that I agree, that's factual. But was the likelihood that wage growth will continue to at pace with the same uh, growth as rent, right? In the last six or 12 months. So you gotta I like to look at it conservatively and say, this isn't really sustainable. We're in a period that's unprecedented and it's not likely to sustain. I mean, I doubt income is gonna grow, you know, five, ten percent year over year either way. So yeah, I agree. And this is what, you know, going back to a couple of questions ago is powerful. If you've just got your spreadsheet set up with what you want to assume with rules of thumb and you plug in some of this data from an OM and it's not putting up, then you can just move on. I mean, there's so many deals out there again that you don't want to be wasting your time. I'll give you an example. There was a off market 80 unit deal in San Antonio broker sent me the other day, plugged it into my rules of thumb spreadsheet and just was probably a million dollars off. And got back to him and he was kind of laughing and sent me his underwriting. I mean, full blown. And uh, we were literally within probably $10,000 on the NOI. But once you load in, you know, your rules of thumb on like closing costs, capital, you just kind of make the deal work. And so you just need to be efficient and streamlined. And yeah, keep your eyes out for some of those areas that Andrew and I are talking about that could get manipulated. The one that we didn't touch on, of course, Andrew is, uh, and it's not typically in the, uh, OM, but that people may manipulate when they're trying to raise money is what is the reversion cap rate? And exactly. so I think you and I both agree that cap rates have compressed significantly. We don't control that. We don't want to assume that's going to continue. We, you and I, I believe view the world similarly in that we actually believe the chances are that it could go the opposite way. And so rule of thumb that most syndicators will use is, you know, 10 basis points a year. And so if you're at a 
four and a half cap now, assume that it's going to go to a five, uh, five years from now, if you've got a five-year hold. Yep. Fully agree. So what are your last steps? I mean, assume you've done all the analysis you've talked about, are you doing any final testing, stress testing before you submit your LOI? Yeah. So if I haven't talked to a PM at this point and I'm going to submit, uh, an LOI and it's one that I'm trying to be competitive on and get into a best and final, I'm definitely getting a PM engaged at, at this point, because I say that, you know, you don't always have to get all these individuals, you know, a tax strategist or get a debt quote or PM before submitting an LOI. Cause again, 90% of the time there's going to be a best and final round, but sometimes that is a quick turn. I mean, I've seen it 48 hours. You need to get your best and final. And now you're scrambling to get a hold of some of these people that are extremely busy in this industry. So I'm trying to engage a couple of those people. We didn't really talk about debt. I apologize. That's another, you know, a lot of times the broker, if they're working with a debt team, will give a debt matrix or a soft debt quote. I think that's a, sufficient for first round, but at this point you might be get jumping on the phone with that team and exploring what that looks like a little bit more stress test wise. Let's look at break even occupancy, look at your debt severage coverage ratio and some of those metrics and just make sure that, okay, let's say you're in a strong Southeast market, like to your point, Jacksonville, Tampa, what if you do have two and a half percent growth, 2% growth, does this deal still cash flow and make sense? Just take a couple different angles and make sure that you're never going to lose uh, your LP's money because that's the most important part of what we do. I think you nailed it, man. We covered, we covered quite a bit in the last 20, 25 minutes or so. So I want to thank you for all that you've done and all you've shared with us. That's a lot of years of knowledge in your, in your day job and in the real estate side of things. So last question from my end is how can listeners get in touch with you? Yeah. So Brian Ponell at New Day Capital, you can uh, just look up my Instagram, LinkedIn, and then my website is Brian at newdayinv.com would be the email and then newdayinv.com is the website. Fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us, man. Yeah, Andrew, really appreciate it. It was fun. Thanks for listening in with us for another episode of the Crushing Cashflow Podcast. We have a small favor to ask of all of our listeners. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Each subscription and rating will help us massively toward our goal of helping reach as many listeners as possible each week. Thank you very much once again for listening. We're thrilled to have you with us as part of this journey, and we can't wait to share more of these stories with you. Stay tuned for much more to come.